Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you this evening, as always. We're going to be starting off, as it mentioned, uh, with a great Coach's Corner panel discussion here in just a moment. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined uh, by my very special guest this evening, the founder of Scratch Stick, uh, David Barino. He'll be joining me on the second half of the show, so I hope you'll stick around, stick around for that. Uh, don't forget, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And obviously, if you're here now, then you know how to find us. But uh, for those of you that uh, maybe are going to be listening in a different uh, network a little bit later on tonight or, or another day, uh, if you go to blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive, uh, you can listen to it live on the Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, as I mentioned, or uh, you can go there and scroll down uh, a little further on the page to the on-demand section, and the recorded version will be there uh, a little bit later on. Uh, once the broadcast ends, or you can listen to wherever great podcasts are heard. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight, and uh, I'm going to introduce the Coach's Corner panel, and we'll get into tonight's discussion. First up, uh, uh, pretty regular on the show, he's been here for uh, almost the full 11 years that I've been doing this broadcast. His uh, name is Clint Wright, and he's a 30-plus year member of the PGA and uh, partner with TGM Golf. Uh, they're, of course, they're a big proponent of the R3 approach, and I consider him to be certainly among the best covering the short game and uh, a favorite here uh, on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, also coming back, I haven't been here for a little bit, but uh, we're glad to have her back, and that's uh, Dr. Allison Kurt. Uh, she's both a PGA and LPGA Master Professional, as well as a Doctor of Psychology, making her America's only female PGA Master Professional trained in clinical psychology. She's also received uh, numerous professional honors. Some include uh, the uh, LPGA National Teacher of the Year, as well as the LPGA's Western section teacher of the year numerous uh, over numerous years excuse me and uh, she currently teaches at wood ranch golf club in the los angeles area so guys welcome to coach's corner glad to be here Ted. thanks ted appreciate it all right i appreciate it as well thank you guys for for joining me uh, tonight on the broadcast okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna start things off uh clint we'll go in order uh that i introduced you both and some of the things we're going to talk about is uh, some of the strategies that uh, one might want to incorporate into their game. Uh, and then we're also going to talk, since we've got uh, Allison here, we're going to talk about some of the mental aspects of the game as well uh, uh, throughout the, uh, the, the panel discussion. So uh, first up, uh, Clint, the, this one goes to you. And this really talks about, I think, something that really, in, in my opinion, gets overlooked. It's a very uh, uh, 
simple fact that I think people need to spend more time on but don't give a lot of consideration. That's positioning themselves off the tee. So it doesn't matter whether it's the first tee or any tee uh, in their round. So what are some of the factors that we want to consider um, in order to position our tee shot? What are we looking at when we step up on the tee box? What are we thinking about? Go sort of walk us through the process. Well, Ted, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people overlook the idea that, you know, we, we all see the advertisements all the time about hitting it further and this driver and that driver. And, and everybody thinks that, well, further down the fairway is better. And in many cases that may be true. But what I try to, to work with the students is once you're beyond the big, you're going to develop somewhat of a, a curvature. You know, maybe people draw the ball or cut the ball. Um, and you want to try to figure out how to fit that shape into the hole. And a lot of times that shape doesn't fit. So you, you have to then back up and say, okay, how far down the fairway will my shot shape work? And then try to work it into that area of the course. On the other hand, when if you're playing a hole that maybe you can drive the ball very close to the green, I don't necessarily always hit a driver. I'm trying to hit it into my really good distance. You know, if, I, if I'm if i a real good, you know, short iron player, you know, nine iron, eight iron pitching wedges, you know, I'm going to try to get it in that range. Uh, and particularly when I'm playing a par five, I see a lot of people that, okay, the closer to the green, the better. Well, that may be true for a lot of people, but there's a lot of folks that are really good from 50 yards or maybe 65 yards. So I'm wanting to try to, to the strategy is, is to get it to my best shot. And when I'm looking at the hole, I may want to consider, well, if I hit a cut, a fade, I may want to make sure that I got a proper angle going into the green where I can start it to the left of the green. So I'm trying to play into my curvature all the time and it, using my alignment and things of that nature. But I think what I see most people do is they play beyond their best shot sometimes. You know, my best shot 60 yards. Well, they hit it 40. Well, that's not my best shot. I said it would have been much better off just laying back to 60 yards, playing a shot I've got a tremendous amount of confidence in. So I think the first thing about core strategy is for the player to determine, and I want to try to get to those shots as many times as I can. And sometimes it's a three-wood off the tee, maybe a driver, you know, might even hit an iron sometimes. But I'm trying to play into what we call, I want to play into my wheelhouse. I don't want to play beyond it. So the strategy, I think, needs to start from the green back, what shot do I want to hit into the green, what the yardage should be, and try to play the ball off the tee that's going to give me the best chance of getting it to that part of the golf course it gives me a better chance of getting it on the green. Well said. And, and also, too, I think, you know, you're, you're going to introduce some other factors as well, conditions. Um, you know, if you're playing in a day right. that's wet, um, you know, obviously that's going to affect the distance. If it's raining, uh, you know, how far you're going to hit your shot uh, is not going to be typically right. the same as what you're going to hit in perfect conditions. And then also wind and other things factor in there as well. So the, the bottom line is when you're stepping up on that tee, you want to assess the situation before you do it, and you want to make an informed decision based on the information that you've gathered. Um, sure. Allison, I'm going to come to you. Yeah, I'm going to come to you on this one. I'm going to zip over into sort of the, the, the mental aspects of the game. Uh, and it, it's really a very simple question, but 
and we're talking mainly about our athletes here for a second, but athletes have to work on the mental side of their performance. Um, we obviously know they're all uh, good ball strikers if they're playing on the, the LPGA or the PGA Tour. So um, their, their hitting prowess is not really so much called into question. It now becomes more a mental aspect. But why do they need to do that? If they want to inc- increase their peak performance, why do they need to worry about the mental side of the game? The mental side is really what drives the physical side. So the brain is the center hub of thoughts, cognitions, motor patterns, delivery of those stored motor patterns to the muscles. The physical does not come without the brain as that central CPU, if you will. And so with that, if the brain isn't in harmony or doesn't have a clear focus or a clear direction, then the physical side certainly doesn't have any sense of where to go. And we spend a lot of time, and athletes spend a lot of time doing rehearsals and repetitions in their body so that they can, quote, unquote, have muscle memory. I think we, I think I lost you or. Allison, are you still there? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can now. Okay. Sorry, go ahead and finish your thought. Yeah, we have all these rehearsals within our uh, system in order to recreate these stored motor patterns on the golf course. And if we have any sort of doubt or fear or self-statements that are derogatory or negative, those stored motor patterns are not going to show up the way that we want them to. And so we need to do just as many push-ups in our mental game as we do mental uh, physical push-ups in our physical game. And so if there's a player who's not looking at improving the mental game, they're looking at just half of the recipe, half of the picture. Right. Well, again, well said. And, and I think also, too, you know, when you're in a good frame of mind, we're going to talk about some other things that can affect that in, in uh, the next round. But um, obviously, depending mentally how you're feeling that day, how your emotions are and so forth, uh, is, is certainly going to affect your physical play as well. If you're a little bit sluggish or tired, you didn't get a lot of rest the night before, and you're out there, and especially if you're playing uh, in, a, in a warmer climate, um, whether it be here in sunny Florida or out in Cal- Southern California, what have you, um, that's going to affect um, your play as well because your, your mind is not going to be sharp, and ultimately that's going to affect the physical part of your game as well, correct? Absolutely. It's a symbiotic relationship, and there's so many components that go into having an optimized mental game, and we're looking at sleep habits, nutritional habits. Every day we wake up, we're a little bit in a different mental state, and so one of the goals is to be able to put ourselves into a state that we know helps us perform better, and we have to be able to adapt with each day's uh, gifts of what has given to us. And So if we do feel some of those hindrances, such as lethargy or we've had poor nutrition or maybe we had too much salt the day before, too much alcohol, and now we need to kind of recalibrate our body, all of that affects our physical, but ultimately what drives the physical is going to be the mental. Yeah, uh, again, well said. Um, Clint, you you kind of touched on this in in your answer, but um, I think we would both probably agree that it's always a good idea to sort of work your way back on each hole from green to tee as opposed to tee to green. What are the advantages of doing that? How does it help us understanding how we would play going in reverse order 
than we would stepping up on the tee. What is that information that we're going to get? Um, how does that prepare us um, for a good round of golf, play backwards in a sense? Well, I think it, it puts you, as we were talking about the, the previous question, Allison, it puts you in a better frame of mind of what you're trying to accomplish. I'm trying to accomplish get the ball close to the hole, so I need to be able to know, okay, and look at the golf course from an architectural standpoint somewhat. Where's the easiest shot into this green? Okay, I want to know, you know, I can see what the easiest drive may be, but that doesn't necessarily put me in the best position to play into the green. So to understand the architecture of the of the green complexes and where the best angle is to come into the hole then dictates to me where the tee shot should try to get to. I don't know that if I start from the tee box and try to get it in the fairway. I may hit a wonderful tee ball, but it may just end up being on the wrong side of the fairway for the angle into the green. So if I know the situation going into the green, then I have a much better chance of understanding where I need to play my tee ball to get to that easiest shot. Because in reality, Every shot you hit is simply trying to make the next one easier. So as long as I know where the easy shot is, then I have a much better chance of trying to accomplish to get it to that place. But unless I know that area of the golf course, there's, you know, I'm just, uh, it's hit and miss at that point. So the whole advantage of understanding you play from the green back to the tee is to begin to understand where the easiest shot into the green is and then try to find that location on the, on the golf course from your tee shot. So in reality, you think about it is every shot to try to make the next one easier. So you have to know where the easy shot is in order to try to get it there, if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, what's interesting, I always encourage people, um, even, even on their home course, to, you know, obviously when appropriate, you don't want to interfere with, with play, but – you know, sometime when it's a little slower right. than that, to drive the, you know, get in your golf cart and drive the course backwards. See what each hole looks like from the other perspective. Because it, it does, I mean, it's amazing when you step up to the tee and at, at first glance you think, well, I don't have a, a very big landing area to, to put my tee shot, you know, because the trees are kind of funneling in and, and whatnot. But when you look at it from the other position, you see, wow, I didn't realize the fairway was that wide. Uh, or I didn't realize right. there was a, an area over here that I could you know, position myself to get a better approach, uh, you know, as you said, an easier approach to the green. So, uh, you know, sometimes working your way back on each hole uh, can, can certainly give you a lot of advantages as well. So uh, some great, great points and great thoughts there. Um, Alice, another question for you on, on the mental aspect of the game. You know, issues such as depression, uh, obviously performance anxiety, uh, even choking during a performance, um, uh, some of these aspects that athletes deal with, um, how do these affect their peak performance and how can you, when, you know, now that you have a better understanding with, with your experience that uh, now as a, uh, you know, as a doctor of psychology, how is that able to help your students, uh, and get them back on a better track? So certainly experiencing performance anxiety is probably one of the most commonly requested issues that potential clients reach out to me wanting to work on. Um, oftentimes we find through our work together that depression is uh, another aspect that they're also dealing with. 
Um, but performance anxiety, it's not a diagnosable condition, something that you would get necessarily uh, medical treatment for, but it is certainly an issue that many athletes experience difficulty with because they're not able to optimize their performance. And so my work with athletes focused on performance anxiety is really understanding when the anxiety comes up, what are some of the symptoms that they experience, are there specific environmental cues or triggers that create that anxiety or elicit that anxiety, and then how are they currently coping with that. And we, we all experience as human beings different levels of anxiety, and sometimes it can be a hindrance to our day-to-day functioning. Other times it can just be a little bit of a, a nuance, a, a little nuisance. And that is okay because we can still play great golf with some levels of anxiety, but when they become too big, that's when we start to have some of the performance disruptions. And oftentimes my work is centered a lot around awareness and then the education and the teaching of what coping skills they can activate. Now, in some cases, some athletes are just so disappointed perpetually over their performances that there is an intense level of sadness that comes along with not reaching their goals. And then we're looking at some of the symptoms of depression, motivation, and then their self-care and how that influences their uh, training for performance. Other times it is a more of a chemical imbalance that needs to be treated with medication. But right. they can. the good news is that in both scenarios, performance anxiety and depression can be helped, alleviated, repaired, uh, relieved through working with um, a sports psychotherapist or someone who is licensed to work with some of those clinical issues. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, from an, especially from an athletic uh, position, you know, people don't realize, because what we see on television, uh, Allison, you know, we watch the pros hit, you know, they might hit a bad shot and, um, you know, we're not seeing them, you know, bending their club around the tree or, or you know, they might get frustrated and, uh, you know, sometimes it, it, very seldomly anymore, but occasionally an expletive might slip out. But, you know, normally they seem to handle it. Uh, at least in the moment, at least that's what we're seeing on TV. Um, but when they get in that, what are some of the coping skills? I mean, obviously, if there's more severe cases, um, you know, where medication uh, or other some, some other kind of intervention might be ne- needed. But in a case where, you know, maybe they're struggling in a round, if you were their coach, what would be some of the dialogue you would have with them? Uh, what would your sort of initial conversation be with them? And what would be some tips that you might give them to cope and, and, and continue on with whether the tournament they're in or what have you? Depending on whatever emotion they're experiencing, we talk about emotional regulation. So how can we contain the emotion and actually do something with it rather than have an outward behavior such as slamming a club or an inward behavior which could be pushing the emotion deep down inside, which ultimately that will layer up and layer up until it kind of explodes. So back to your statement about, like, we see some elite players and professionals not getting so upset on the outside. They may inadvertently be pushing that emotion deep down on the inside, creating just as much turmoil as if they were to let that that emotion come out. So emotional regulation is is a topic we talk about, and there's a strategy that I'll teach in terms of how to contain that emotion. Where is it in our body? if we can contain it with a shape, if we can identify it with a color, if we can 
place a name to it. And then through breath, we can use our imagery skills and our breath to get that emotion out of our body. So in a way, it's a really start to finish complete processing of the emotion that you can do in just a, a couple of seconds so that you're not holding on to anger or frustration, that you're actually doing something with it, you're not pushing it down, and then you're not also acting outwardly in an inappropriate way. Um, so really having that type of skill to regulate the emotion. But other skills tend to be how to stay focused. And that, that word is thrown a lot around a lot because sometimes players think they need to be focused for four to five hours on the golf course. And that's just really not realistic. I don't think anyone can really do that. But we can focus in small increments and we can determine what is important for us to pay attention to. We can redirect our attention and our energy to task-relevant behaviors rather than task-irrelevant behaviors. And so being able to teach the golfer um, how to stay in the moment, which will then elicit focus and being really disciplined on the factors that they're going to pay attention to and not letting extraneous stuff distract us or hijack our attention. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I remember uh, a conversation that Annika Sorenstam uh, had, who of course was uh, um, one of the top uh, female uh, athletes on the LPGA for many years. Um, she talked about that very thing where, you know, for a long time she felt that she needed to be in constant focus during her round. And as you said, as you pointed out, you know, it's, it's very challenging and, and very detrimental to success to be able to do that for four, you know, four and a half hours straight. So you need some kind of a distraction sort of in between your play um, to give your mind a rest. And, and that's something that I think a lot of the really elite athletes struggle with a little bit is how do you know when to turn it off uh, during a round? Um, not so much that you're, you're, you know, you're going to get you know, lazy or what have you, but um, knowing when to sort of turn it off and then when to reengage. And that's something that you work with your students with at, at a higher level as well, right, is knowing when to sort of turn it back on and when to sort of, you know, maybe in between shots to sort of turn it off um, and, you know, maybe think about something else. Is that something that you, you work with uh, with some of your students? Certainly. And it's so unique per individual, like what helps them transition or turn that switch on from being relaxed and just being present to now being um, engaged in what the task or what the moment is asking us to do. And I think that's one of the skills that a lot of golfers are trying to achieve is how to go in and out constantly for the four to five hours. Um, instead of just being like in, in one driver mode where you're just kind of coasting along, there's going to be moments where uh, you're putting your foot on the gas and then you're braking a little bit and you're putting your foot on the gas and you're braking a little bit. And that's all part of normal, um, normal type of pacing in a round. It's also a very good way to conserve energy so that you're not expending energy in between shots that you need to conserve for later on. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's, it's something that through time, um, you sort of learn that skill where you're, again, able to step on the gas when it's needed and able to brake a little bit and back off when it's not. Um, and that's something, again, you know, at a, an elite level or a pro level, you know, they've done it over years. And I think sometimes when we see our amateur golfers uh, that are sort of all over the place, it's because they don't obviously spend as much time on their game as, as what a professional does. So they don't really have that same skill set uh, quite yet. And, and we'll talk about in a little bit maybe some other ways that they can do it from an amateur standpoint, how they can sort of pros are doing. Clint, I haven't forgot about you. I just had some uh, follow-up questions I had with uh, 
with Allison oh, on I'm, that, uh, I'm on that ha- area. I'm, I'm having I'm having a great show. I'm I'm listening and learning. <laughs> Me as well. All right, so I'm going to come back. This is a, a, a strategy as well for you uh, that I want you to explain a little bit. How can we use the greens to our advantage? As a player, if we're out there, what can we learn from the greens? How can we use it to our advantage? What is about, you know, what's going on with the green that's going to give us uh, some advantage? What can we learn from it? Well, there's a number of different things. You, you know, if you watch the – I try to watch – the people I'm playing with, for one thing, that's going to give me, if I'm not the first person playing to the green, obviously, but particularly if we're up chipping around the green, uh, we've missed the green, we're trying to get the ball close. I tend to try to watch my playing partners and see how the ball's reacting when they're, you know, and I watch them all when it, when they're hitting their shot into the green. I want to see how the ball's bouncing up around the green. Is it firm? Uh, you know, how is it reacting around the flag, particularly if we're, we're into the chipping uh, and pitching the ball. Uh, and the green generally will give you an opportunity to use it to get the ball closer. With, with the curvature of the greens, the, the topography, uh, it will move the ball towards the hole if you let it. Particularly in, in when you've got greens that are quite undulating versus a flat green, it will aid you. It's going to give you a much wider area to hit it in if you just take advantage and watch how the ball is going to react. So as many of us try to read the break when we're putting, is that it's always to our advantage to look at the green and see how it's going to help me when I'm you know, pitching or hitting the ball into the green, particularly on par fives when you're trying to get it close to the, the hole, maybe make a birdie, or you've missed the green, you're trying to get it up close and not put so much pressure on your putting is to pay attention to the slopes even when you're pitching and chipping. I know we all do it, but most importantly is watch your playing partners to see how the ball's reacting. As much data as you can get from the green, uh, that's where you're going to get it, to see how the ball's reacting from other players. And particularly if you play the same golf course all the time, uh, or particularly a lot of the time, you're going to get to understand how this green reacts versus that one. And, again, try to read the slopes as much as you can, as early as you can in your shot preparation in order for the green to try to, you know, move the ball in towards the hole. Uh, that just gives you a little better chance. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and, you know, again, you know, if you use the slope to your advantage, you know, the green, like you say, some, you know, sure. obviously some courts, depending on where you're playing, might be a little flatter, so you don't have the same advantages. Um, but whenever possible, again, if you're not the first up, if it's not your turn, uh, this is a great opportunity, you know, if you're with a foursome, to watch the other three, uh, depending on what, you're, you know, what position you're in. But um, you right. know, if the other three are going ahead of you, to watch and see how the ball reacts, how fast it's running on the sure. green, how much you know, slope and so forth. So, yeah, you can use it to your advantage. And, and as you said, I mean, I, I watched last year, actually the last couple of years, uh, in in Alabama, they had the LPGQ series, and they were playing one of the Robert Trump right. Jones uh, courses. And one of the holes, I think it was nine, number nine, or it might have been 18, um, it had a severe undulation, and it was like a, a bowl almost in the front of the green. And, of course, on Sunday, they would put the pin position right at the bottom. And every right. you know, uh, player was hitting it to the top and letting it roll and feed it way, its way down. So they understood how those undulations worked and how to use it to their advantage. Correct. Sometimes it didn't work in their favor. Sometimes it nestled up close to the hole. Other times it ran off the front of the green and ended up right. as a, 
you know, another sure. mess. So, uh, but understanding that and, and being able to use it when, whenever possible to your advantage is, is always um, uh, the way to go. Um, Allison, I'm going to ask sure. you this one. I'm going to get you first to, to explain what this is, um, and then I'm going to ask my question. So first off, what is EMDR? EMDR is a psychotherapy modality, a treatment. stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Um, it's a type of psychological treatment that can help reprocess trauma memories from personal mm-hmm. life and from athletic events. So how can we use that, that, this process, how can it be used to help, again, we're going to deal with athletes here um, that have maybe experienced, uh, you know, some sort of trauma through their, uh, you know, through their profession. How can we do, utilize that uh, to optimize their peak performance? So EMDR can only be applied from a licensed therapist, so a psychologist or a psychotherapist. Um, In my specialty, I use EMDR. It's a specialty training. Uh, I use it with athletes. And so as an athlete, we oftentimes experience massive losses, failures, shameful events, mistakes that occur on the golf course in our golfer scenario, and they can sting and stick with us and really upset us for many years after. It's kind of like one of those debilitating losses that you just can't seem to get over And then you find yourself kind of re-experiencing that trauma where let's say I missed a three-foot putt to win the club championship. And now every time I get to a three-foot putt scenario, I tend to get nervous and I tend to miss more of them, even though I know I'm competent in it and I know I can make it. My body continues to relive that trauma. And then we see a lot of performance disruptions that result from that. So in my work with golfers, we tend to find that Nearly everybody has one, if not more, at least traumatic event that has occurred on the golf course. And sometimes trauma, that word itself can be a little misleading because individuals will say, well, my safety wasn't at risk or I didn't feel like I was going to die. Right. But when you're playing this game for really important things like money, putting food on the table or your personal pride, missing a three-foot putt is a really big deal or shanking a shot out of bounds when your best friend is watching or the whole club is watching and it's embarrassing and shameful. It's a really big deal. So um, you, if you don't like the word trauma, you could say adverse life events. But when I'm working with athletes, we try to discover what are some of those touchstone points that have occurred in their performance career. And once we identify a hierarchy of like what's the first or what's the worst occurrence, then we can start reprocessing that trauma and we use a form of bilateral stimulation where the eyes are moving back and forth to help the player alleviate the intensity and the emotion surrounding that trauma. You know, it's amazing when you think about what's really involved in, in you know, it, it's not just what a lot of people think. Playing at a, an elite level particularly or, or an athletic level is not all uh, just about um, hitting perfect shots. And, and again, obviously we're talking about golf. Um, you know, or, or sinking, uh, you know, those three-foot putts all the time. There's a lot of other factors. Emotions come into play, things like that. What are some of the common issues that you find with um, your amateur players um, or golfers? I shouldn't say players, but amateur golfers, some that are not at elite level. What are some of the more common? I mean, I would imagine very similar to um, when you're dealing with a new student, you know, you do an assessment, you sort of get it, you know, gather some information about how they play, how long they've played, 
Um, do you do that as well with some of your newer students that maybe are not at that higher level? And give us sort of a walkthrough, Allison, if you wouldn't mind, of, again, sort of that conversation. What are you looking for um, as far as trying to identify how they handle themselves out in the golf course? Well, certainly most clients will have an idea of what performance disruptions they're, they're dealing with. So whether it's the yips, whether it's excessive performance anxiety, whether it's just failed performances one after another. Um, so through a thorough history-taking process, I kind of start to see um, certain events or certain uh, touchstone moments in their life that seem to elicit a lot of emotion or they talk differently about those moments in time. And then I look at the patterns of behavior in their, their golf that results thereafter. And for a lot of club golfers, a lot of it circles around the social aspects. So performing in front of friends or to have a reputation at the club, let's say that they're a single-digit handicap and all of a sudden their handicap starts rising to a 12 or a 15. There's embarrassment, there's shame that's attached to it, or the uh, ever ever famous horse race at club championships where you've got 20 people on the tee all watching you perform and you're just not prepared. You're not ready to compete at that level when there's a bunch of eyes on you. And so you underperform and then you f- feel or have the perception that everybody's still thinking about that over dinner when they're really not because they're all invested in their own game more than your game. Um, but a lot right. of it tends to be external influences, what other people think, um, what their perceptions of us are during our performances. And the club golfers seem to really have some challenges with how to process that and how to redirect their attention to what's important and maybe even looking at some facts versus distortions. I think a lot of club golfers really distort um, what they think other people think about their game. Um, because, you know, if, if, Clint, Ted, me, we're all on the tee box. And Mm -hmm. uh, let's say, Ted, you don't hit it so great. I might see it with my eyes, but really I'm thinking about my own tee shot. Meanwhile, Clint's over there rehearsing his golf swing, thinking about how he's going to try to hit it 300 yards. Like we really don't care that you hit a poor drive. We're all really invested in our own swings. Meanwhile, you might be in turmoil thinking about what our perceptions of you are about. And so that really can create discord in the body when you're trying to create smooth motor patterns, when you're trying to use fine motor muscles. If your brain is busy with these things that are really not relevant to the task at hand, then all of a sudden we're feeling anxious and we're feeling disruptive. And so a lot of the kind of first sessions with a golfer is to get that intense history so I can start to see some of the patterns that are emerging and then look at what are some of those touchstone points in their golf career that may be serving as the source of some of their disruptions. I have sort of a two-part follow-up um, on that, and, and I want to ask you from, from, so once you've done that sort of assessment, you've gathered the information, and you have a better understanding of how they're dealing with certain uh, issues and, and so forth, um, and you're putting together a game plan, not only for their physical part of their game, and you know, obviously in, in helping them to hit better and, and so forth, um, but now you're going to deal with the emotional and the mental side of the game. Do you, once you isolate what the issues are, do you sort of dive and, and, and I hate to use this term, but hit them head on with it, or do you sort of ease into it a little bit? And then the second part I want to ask you is you mentioned about on the tee. When you've got somebody that obviously has some anxiety about that, 
do you try to encourage them to maybe scale back? So in other words, instead of pulling that driver out, maybe scale back to a three-wood or a hybrid, something that they know they're going to be more confident to hitting um, on that first tee shot, just to sort of get over the, the hump, if you will. Um, talk, touch on both of those, if you wouldn't mind, and then, then Clint, I'll come back to you. Yeah, certainly. So going back to uh, – I'll kind of go backwards on it. Um, going back to what Clint said about getting to your comfortable place, I think that when we are nervous already – we don't want to try to use a skill set that we don't have a lot of stock and confidence in. So if it's driver is a little bit shaky, but we feel pretty, pretty awesome with our seven wood, then why not use the club that you feel the most confident with and sacrifice a little bit of yardage so that you feel like you can get the, the momentum going. So I'm a big proponent of being able to do a self SWOT analysis and identify what are my strengths so that when I'm under pressure, I know where, what tools I can use in the moment. I certainly don't want to be in a, in a perceived pressure-filled situation having to rely on my most weak skill. Um, so I, I love how Clint had mentioned that, you know, between 40 yards and 20 yards, if I feel really great from 40 yards, even though statistically 20 yards I might get it closer, but I have more confidence at 40 yards, might as well play to 40 yards because there's a – there's a perception, there's a belief in myself that I'm going to be able to, uh, to pull it off. Um, and can you repeat your first question again? Yeah, the first one is, so, so you've done your assessment and you've identified some, some uh, issues in sort of the mind game, if you will. Do you tackle them head on with your student? Like you put a game plan, say, okay, here we're going to address these issues head on, or do you sort of ease into them a little bit and say, we're going to do this first and then work our way up? So in other words, is it a gradual progression to help them with that or do you it's kind of like i equate it to you know somebody that is afraid of heights you know you don't take them up on a plane and say we're going to do some skydiving today you ease into it so that's i guess the question i'm asking is how do you approach that from your standpoint once you've identified what some of the issues are definitely thank you yep it's really client dependent so there's some clients who are more time bound who say, let's dig right in. I need to work on these things. I've got a U.S. Open senior qualifier in three weeks. Okay, we got to dig right in. There's certainly the rapport building aspect that's um, so important, just like in a physical coaching relationship. We got to build rapport with the students so that they trust and they can buy in and they can be vulnerable and share about things. Um, but some clients are a bit more time bound. Other clients are uh, more open to uh, looking at different facets of of their world and they can go at a little slower pace. My job is to be able to assess their tolerance. So I, it's unethical for me to push somebody past their comfort zone in terms of pacing. So I've got to use my skill set to read the client and see how deep and how much we can go into. Whereas other people are like, okay, let's be direct. Tell me what we need to do and let's get started doing it. So I take it as more of a, a client centered approach where I kind of read the room, I read their energy, I'm understanding a little bit about their personality as we build rapport and then create the game plan that's best for them. Yeah. And, and, and again, obviously, as you, as you mentioned, it, it's player specific. So, you know, some player, like, like you said, may want to just dive right in because of timing, or maybe they're just, uh, you know, um, that their personality is such that they want to really get right down to it. They don't want to sort of dance around the mulberry bush and then others might need a, a little softer approach to it. So, again, as you said, you have to read the room. So very interesting. And I always, you know, I, I think it's important to really understand that for the listeners. 
because, again, there's a lot of folks out there that struggle, not just with the hitting game, but with other aspects, with anxieties and, and things that we've touched on a little bit tonight. And they don't really know how to approach that. And obviously not every uh, golf professional has the same skill set that you do um, it, from a psychology standpoint. Um, but those are things that need to be addressed. And, you know, those are things that need to be at least brought up uh, in a discussion and then, you know, find the appropriate uh, channels to, to uh, be able to work on those. But very interesting. I really appreciate you uh, expanding a little bit more on that. All right, Clint, as I said, I'm going to come back to you on this, and I'm going to sort of roll two questions into this, uh, into one for you. Um, mm-hmm. And you, again, you touched a little bit. We talked about using the greens to your advantage, but obviously we're not always successful uh, on hitting the green. Um, so we need to learn to work around the greens. Um, talk a little bit about that. What are some things that we can do? How do we work around the greens? And then also, how do we avoid the short side? Tell us, you know, if we find it, uh, and obviously I'm talking about the green, uh, if we find it, how do we sure. make the best of it? Well, you know, obviously um, if you're short-sighted, the shots that you just got through hitting wasn't the best shots you, you're going to hit today. So what you don't want to do is let that shot multiply into several more, okay? So if I, my objective when I get short-sighted is it's going to be on the green when I get done with this short-sighted shot. So I see a lot of people that try to make some spectacular, you know, let's just flop it up there and drop it in. And and that's a once in a, you know, every now and then type of success rate. But what I don't want to do is take my putter out of the, the play to maybe get it up and in for par, okay? I don't have to take that short side shot and hit it dead to the hole. You know, I can make five, six, seven-foot putts. All right, so I need to give myself the chance to have that. You know, don't try to hit the spectacular shot and leave it short of the green, and now you're right in the same place again. Guess what? If you were short-sighted that time, you're short-sighted now. So you want to eliminate the short side. You're there. Eliminate it. Don't get the second one again. And so, therefore, it just continues to multiply. So... When you're short-sighted, be aggressive. Get it beyond the hole. You know, to, to without being uh, too flippant, the hole is round. It'll go in from any direction. It, you know, so you can hit it past the hole and put it back, and it's fine. So my objective is get it on the green, give my putter a chance to bail me out. Okay, I don't have to hit the spectacular pitch shot. When you're up around the greens, it's obvious that, that most people – if you watch them around the golf course, they're going to get their bucket of balls, they're going to go out on the range, and they're going to bang a bunch of balls. Then they come back to the putting green, hit three or four putts, and go out to play. You never see a lot of people practicing their chipping and pitching around the green to develop basically trajectory control. I want to be able to practice those shots, to have a, a maybe a library of shots that I know I can hit, uh, with proper different trajectories. Do I want to get the ball up and let it stop? Or am I going to hit it low and let it run? I need to have those shots that I can rely on. So that way when I miss the green, I can then to assess with looking at the green how the green is going to help me get it close. Okay? Of once I determine how the green can do that, then I need to be able to determine the proper trajectory and carry that I need in order to let the green help me 
And before I know how to do that, I've got to rehearse those. I've got to get out and, and build that repertoire of shots that I can call on when I've made the determination what the green will help me do and where I need to land the ball to let it curve in towards the hole. But unless I have worked on those shots to truly understand how to produce them, I'm going to have a pretty small chance of being successful if I don't. I mean, in my opinion, it's no different than going out and hitting pitching wedge, 8-iron, 5-iron, determining how those balls react when I make a full swing. I need to be able to build in that little short shot around the green with different trajectories, different type of clubs, in order to be able to have enough shots that I can call on that one of those is going to fit into how the green can help me and I can get the ball closer to the hole. So it's a matter of having those shots available that you have confidence in and then going to the best one for that particular shot at that particular time. Yeah, uh, a great uh, great analogy. And, and sort of on this line, um, Allison, I want to ask you, I, I was, as I mentioned to you off air, uh, I, I'd gone on to your to your website, and we'll we'll give the uh, the information uh, when we wrap up in a little bit. Um, but I watched one of the videos that uh, you had up on on your website, and I, I found it very interesting because it goes right on to what Clint just sort of finished up with, and that is really, you know, developing different shots. And there was a video that you did. Um, you were speaking with Blair O'Neill from the Golf Channel, and you were basically using the same club but hitting four different shots, different trajectories, and so forth. Um, Obviously, that's important to have that in your bag, but not everybody can pull that off. So when do you decide uh, or how do you decide um, or how do you help your students? And, and again, we'll, we'll stay away from the elite players. It's a little bit different, uh, uh, you know, individual there. But with some of your, your less than, than stellar players, that's a great tool to have in your bag, if you will, to have a variety of different shots. Um, with the same club, especially when you get up around the green. So when do you decide, okay, we need to develop uh, something like that, which is going to help you with your strategy on the golf course? I like to do it really early on. So as, as long as the player knows how to hold the club, how to stand, and how to aim, I think we're ready to start learning that skill. They may not be competent in it right away, but there's certainly an opportunity to educate and let them know that it's a possibility when ready and I, I kind of use the metaphor of using a hammer. So a lot of people think a hammer is only useful for driving a nail into a wall. Well, if you flip it around, it has a second use and it can pull the nail right back out. Um, so we think about a sand wedge and a lot of players will say, well, I can only use this in the sand because it's called a sand wedge. It's like, well, you can actually use it for a bump and run. You can use it for a flop shot. You can use it as a putter if the ball is sitting in between the first cutter rough and the fringe. So there's multiple uses for our wedges and our short game shots. And so the earlier the better in my book. I think just um, for juniors in particular, like laying out that framework early on that there's lots of different wedge options and you can use a wedge in a variety of different ways. And then even with uh, adult beginners is just teaching them from the beginning that this isn't a one-dimensional club. Like the driver might be a little bit more one-dimensional. We tend to use it to start the hole off. Some elite players can advance it, and they can use it off the deck for a long par five. But with wedges, there's so many different types of shots that be, can be created. So the sooner the better in opening up their mind and their creative space to look at a variety of ways to use those clubs. 
Well, and that's where imagination comes in, too. I mean, it's amazing, you know, when you really use a little bit of imagination, some of the things that you can come up with. I mean, that's how, you know, players have developed different shots like that over the years. I mean, that, you know, when you go back into, you know, the earlier dimensions of, of golf, you know, they weren't doing as much of that. Uh, technology has obviously, uh, you know, changed with, with the clubs and the golf balls and things like that. Um, and over time, you know, we've seen the integration of more wedges in the bag. You know, originally it was maybe one or two, and now it's, you know, some of the uh, players use as many as four um, for a variety of different reasons. But, you know, so obviously, you know, there's an advantage to have it. It's kind of like, you know, if you're somebody that uses tools, um, is it better to have, you know, more tools in, in the toolbox uh, or just one? Um, now, if you can use one to do a few different things, like you pointed out with the hammer, that's fine, but there may be other tools that you need. So I think the more tools and the more strategy that you develop and, and shots that you develop, that gives you, even though you only have 14 clubs in the bag, um, you don't just have 14 different shots with 14 different clubs. You've got multiple shots with each club. Uh, again, obviously the driver's a little bit different, but um, but especially with your wedges and that. So there's a lot of you know leeway for that to, to do that. So that's a great point that you raise up. Um, Clint, I'm going to give you this one here, and then I'm going to give one more to Allison, and then we'll get ready to wrap up. Um, do we want to think two shots ahead when we're out on, you know, let's say a par four, par five? Three is a little bit different, but on the longer shots, are we thinking two shots ahead? Are you thinking two shots ahead? Uh, actually, you know, I may. Yeah, I think the, a couple of shots ahead, on, uh, back to our original thing, how do, why do I pull back from the point of the tee? Uh, that complain at least once because I'm trying to figure out where to hit it in the fairway to make my next shot easier. You know, I, I don't think that I'm thinking two shots ahead, maybe one. To, because, again, back to what our early discussion was, is about trying to make your next shot easier. I need to know kind of what my next shot will be in order for me to be able to, to maybe make it easier. idea of what my, let's say a par four, if I don't have an idea of what my second shot should look like, then I'm going to have a hard time trying to figure out, imagine, from an imagination standpoint, what I need to do on my first shot to try to get to that second shot that I'm wanting. So, yeah, I think you got to be at least one shot ahead. If if the conversation we had earlier has any meaning about playing from the green back to the tee, you got to be at least one shot ahead. And, and maybe on par fives, too, you, you could go that, that far, but certainly one shot ahead in order to be able to determine how you want to hit this one to make that next one easier, without a doubt. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, and again, again, it depends on the level of player, you know, their, their um, abilities sure. and things. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, the at the pro level, they're, they are thinking, uh, you know, a couple of shots ahead perhaps in, in many cases. Again, depending on the hole they're playing because they're, as you said, they're working right. sort of backwards. Okay, what do I, you know, where do I want to be and what's my, you know, second or third shot going to look like? So, um, you know, That's in a case right. like that. but. Um, and again, that's not to be thinking about it all the time, but that's to consider it before you hit the shot you're going to hit now. So you want to have those factors, like when you step up in the tee box. Again, um, you know, when we work back from the hole and we understand where we want to position our tee shot, 
um, to set up for that second shot or even third shot, then it gives us a, a little bit better understanding. And then obviously you dial in on the shot at hand uh, in order to execute that. Allison, the, my That's final correct. question for you is, it is um, thank you, is um, when you're preparing for a tournament, whether it be a club championship, whether it be um, you know, a two- or three-day event uh, on the Epson or LPGA Tour or PGA Tour, um, how should a player prepare themselves mentally to go into that event? What can they do to really get themselves in, in a good frame of mind? Uh, are there some you know, things that they can do? Obviously, we have drills for the physical side of the game that they can be working on uh, to get uh, things tight. But what about the mental side? What can they do leading up to that event to get themselves mentally prepared to play? I like to combine the mental strat- uh, the mental components along with strategic. So using a statistical program like Decade Golf to map out a golf course, getting on Google Earth, and looking at the course ahead of time if you're not familiar with it or haven't played a practice round, being able to identify where you want to place your drives, are there any um, hidden lakes or ravines that you're not certain about, In order to feel prepared, we want to have a good sense of what the environment is going to get us. So I think having a great conversation with your coach and saying, here's the course that I'm playing, let's come up with a solid strategic game plan for how I'm going to play the course, that that is coupled under mental strategies as well. But in looking at just mental preparation, imagery is one of our strongest components to prepare. Imagery is being able to imagine or visualize what you would like to do in certain situations. And the research behind imagery and visualization indicates that when you run a scenario through your mind, say, say hitting the first tee, um, first tee ball, you are actually making the same neural connections activate and light up as if you were doing that in real life. Now, I think that's quite powerful that if I get into a quiet space and close my eyes and imagine myself either through first-person point of view or outside point of view, how I'm going to hit that first drive on the first tee in this competition, it's activating the same neurons in my brain as if I'm actually doing that thing. So I like to have my clients go play the entire golf course using imagery and visualization where they'd like to hit the shots, seeing themselves perform well, seeing themselves recover from adversity. I also think from a mental approach, you want to make sure that your personal life is in balance and in harmony. So if you have any current conflicts that are going on, maybe you don't poke the bear and get those conflicts uh, more elevated. Maybe you kind of put pause on those things. Or if you're having conflict with a particular person, maybe you kind of back away and don't text and call them for a few days in preparation for your tournament. You want to make sure that you're home life and personal life is really in harmony so that you can completely focus on this up-and-coming tournament. And then certainly a good amount of meditation is really helpful in allowing peace and calmness to come into the mind. And meditation doesn't have to be this scary thing or this long thing, but it's the opportunity to allow the brain to declutter, get focused, feel calm, feel at peace, put the um, anxiety and the nerves at ease. And then lastly, to make sure that you're fully prepared. One of the worst feelings that I've ever experienced is when you forget something and you're heading to a tournament. You forget to pack something or you left your pitching wedge in your bedroom because you were making some practice swings with it. So if you have a checklist of 
all the tools that you're going to need for this tournament if you're traveling or if it's local. Just prepare that stuff ahead of time and don't procrastinate because you want all of that to be orderly and ready to go so that you're not waiting till the last minute to gather your belongings. That's an excellent point. Um, you know, you want to prepare yourself as much as possible. And obviously, you know, it's never, you're never able to do it 100%, but um, there's a lot of things that you can, on your list that you can check off and, and give yourself the best chance to, uh, to be successful at whatever event, whether it's your club championship uh, or it's uh, some other uh, tournament that you're involved with, uh, corporate events or what have you. Um, well, guys, you, as always, you did a, a fantastic job tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. And I just want to make a side note before I uh, always uh, give the uh, guests an opportunity to share with the listeners the best way to reach out to them. I just want to point out as well, in addition to some of the things I mentioned earlier about Allison, she's also uh, one of the top 25 instructors with Golf Tips Magazine. And also, in addition to some great tips that she provides, uh, she's now um, producing a regular uh, mental game articles uh, each issue as well. Uh, so you want to check that out and go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today for that and uh, see some of the great uh, tips that she gives, not only uh, on the lesson tee, but also uh, on the mental side of the game as well. So I want to make sure you check that out. Clint, um, as always, thank you for, for coming on tonight and the best way for the folks to reach out you, uh, to you and then Allison. Yeah, great. Yeah, this has been a great show. Allison, it's been a pleasure being on with you tonight. Uh, I've learned a lot just listening to you. I, I appreciate it very much. Everybody can reach out to me. It's clintgolf001 at yahoo.com is the easiest place, or uh, the R3 uh, Facebook page is out there as well. So, But the easiest way is just uh, drop me a line email-wise, clintgolf001 at yahoo.com. And, Ted, again, and Allison, it's been a, been a nice show. It's, it's been a pleasure just to sit and listen. It's been nice. I appreciate it as always, Clint. Thank you. Uh, Allison, go ahead. The best way that folks can reach out. Yeah, so actually head over to social media on Instagram and look up Allison Kurt Golf. And from that profile, you'll be able to head directly to my website, AllisonKurtGolf.com. You can book a session. You can DM me any requests if you want to work together on the mental game or come visit me in Los Angeles and work in person on your uh, physical game or mental game. But I think most people are, are on Instagram, so go ahead and head over there, Allison Kurt Golf. And Clint and Ted, it's been a pleasure being back on the show and chatting with you. Clint, I think what's going to stick out in my mind is that the hole is round and the hole, the ball can go in in many different ways. <laughs> so I think that's a good gem that I'm going to start sharing with my students. So I really enjoyed well, the time. I, I, I get copyright on that now. I, I get copyright. All right. <laughs> no problem. I'll make sure to give credit where credit right. is due. <laughs> Very yeah, good. Good, good, luck, yeah. good luck on that, Clint. All right, guys, thank you yeah, both very much, I'm, and have I'm a great... Just, I'm wishing. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> have a great uh, great evening, and have a great Memorial Weekend to both of you, and we'll see you next time on the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That was uh, Clint Wright and Dr. Allison Kurt here on the Coach's Corner panel on Golf Talk Live, and uh, in just a moment or two uh, after this message, I'll be joined by my very special guest this evening, the founder of Scratch Dick, uh, David Barino. Uh, we'll be right back after this message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as 
the latest golf instruction from America's top pros. Simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back. And um, as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, if you want to subscribe to Golf Tips Magazine, uh, go to golftipsmag.com and you can subscribe and get either the print version, the digital version, or both, uh, whichever you prefer. And uh, as I mentioned, you'll find uh, some great articles from a lot of uh, our top 25 pros and also some great um, tips as well. And as I mentioned, Allison has been uh, contributing this year uh, to the mental side of the game. And uh, she's written a couple of articles. There's one going to be coming out for our July-August issue, which will be coming out here in uh, the upcoming weeks. And I uh, hope you'll uh, uh, check it out. So go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. And as I said, you can get either the print or digital version or both, whatever suits your needs. All right, I'm uh, excited to be joined by this evening's uh, very special guest, uh, David Barino. And he is the founder of Scratch Stick. Uh, he is an entrepreneur whose vast experience spans the spectrum from sports equipment manufacturing to printing and design to technology integration. Uh, with over 20 years of international business experience, uh, David has successfully founded seven companies, including Scratch Stick, uh, which is based in Montana. Uh, the next evolution of golf alignment, uh, Scratch Stick is a uh, patented multifunctional golf improvement tool that fits seamlessly into your golf bag, which we all love. Uh, so it's a great uh, product, and uh, we're going to find out a little bit more about that. So please welcome my very special guest, David Barino. Good evening, David, Hello. and welcome How to Golf Talk Live. I'm doing very Hi. well. How are, How are you? you? I'm doing good. Is the audio good? It's just perfect. That's just uh, just the way I like it, nice and clear. Welcome to the show. Nice. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let me ask you, I, I gave just a brief uh, intro um, to the listeners, but I always like to ask, especially new guests that have come on, um, just a little bit how they got started in golf, because everybody has their, a different, you know, story, a different, you know, uh, aspect to their journey. Uh, how did you get involved? Were you somebody that played at a very early age? Give us just a little bit of more background, uh, particularly to, to golf and sort of leading you up to where you are now. Yeah, I, I picked up my first club in middle school and I have a vivid memory of, you know, PE class and picking up the club and going, wow, this is pretty cool. Uh, I, my family didn't have the means to, to support the, the golf journey back then, but I remember getting my first set at 16. I played here and there with buddies, but not nothing really serious, probably played, you know, a half dozen times. And I really didn't get a passion and drive for the game until – you know, until I started playing with my dad. Uh, the funny thing is I bought him a set of clubs, and, or a, I bought a set of clubs and ended up gifting him those clubs because I never used them. And then he got hooked on golf, and he dragged me in to golf after playing soccer for many years, competitive collegiate soccer and, and beyond. And uh, I was looking for something new that wasn't going to tear up my knees. I I tore my MCL at one point in soccer. And I, I was just like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to retire from soccer. And I picked up the club and I haven't put it down since. 
you know, it, it's interesting. I played soccer as well and, and uh, as well as some other sports, baseball and that. But uh, golf was always a passion. I teach golf and have now for, for 30 years, and I, I just love the game. And uh, it certainly can frustrate the, the heck out of you at times. But it's, uh, you know, when you get a good group that you play with on a regular basis, which I have for, for many, many years, um, my, my buddy is not back home. Um, you know, it always makes it a lot of fun and, you know, a little ribbing here and there never hurt uh, along the way. But um, much like you, I started very, very early. I was earlier than you, but I was about seven years old. My father uh, introduced me to the game. But, you know, what, what I always find from a teaching professional standpoint, and this is sort of going to lead us into uh, our discussion here, is what always amazes me when I'm speaking, particularly with new students, you know, wanting to improve, wanting to, you know, take their game to the nev- next level. And yet when I stand on the practice tee or I stand on the, the driving range and I look up and down um, at, at many of the people there, I see a lot of inconsistency, not just in their ball striking, but how they prepare and how they practice. And you've come up with a very interesting, which I have one, by the way, I was sent, I'm doing a review for Golf Tips Magazine on, on uh, Scratch Stick. So thank you for that. And um, I'm really looking forward. To, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, to doing a deep dive. I've done some, but I'm going to do some more this weekend. Um, but what led you, and what was sort of the defining factor that led you into develop this? Yeah, I was one of those guys or gals you were talking about, as far as on the on the range and just beating balls and really really not improving and. I ended up getting a coach at one point and he's like, Hey, you, can you record your swing? I want to see your, you know, what you're doing. And I could never get the right angle. I, I ended up buying all these different tripods and all these different things to, mm-hmm. to try to record my swing on the range. And it wasn't, it wasn't useful to the co- my coach. Cause he was just saying, I don't know if it's the right, I can't see exactly what you're doing. Cause I don't know if the angle of the camera is, is good. So it started, it got me thinking to, what could I do to make something that's easy to use, that's deployable within, you know, 30 seconds and that you could, that you could record a swing. And I, I'm like, God, I, I, I think I can make this a stake and take it into the ground and have to figure out a way to put the phone onto the stake without having to have these, you know, big camera cases or cases to go over your phone. I wanted to simplify right. that process too. And, and the magnet, um, was was the was the easiest thing to to grasp, right? And you could put the magnet on mm-hmm. your on your phone case. Um, you could put it right right on your phone if you if you'd like. But typically, people put it on their on their phone case. And it, it really did. I started prototyping. I I used a lot of uh, prototypers here in the United States and made sure that uh, that I could flesh out this idea. The first version was very heavy, very cumbersome, and and I just I just started going. Well, what else could I do? How how could I how could I make a product that's not just going to be a recording device? Because there's millions of those out there now. Um, right. I wanted to make a tool that would help improve the game, help help improve a player's uh, you know a player's game. And what that led to was okay. Well, I I have my alignment fix. I have uh, a putting a putting you know tool. And I wanted to put those all into one. So I rolled those all up into one product, which uh, has a putting stick, has the alignment to, uh, feature, and as well as the recording. And I think those three things are vital to improvement. And 
you probably know best as, as far as what that looks like. But the the mind blowing thing for me was when I started to record my swing. I I, I have like one of my first swings on video and it was horrible, right? Like looking at your swing <laughs> is like looking in the mirror sometimes. Right. You're like, man, I don't I don't look good. I'm tired, uh, and and you you really get that instant feedback when you look at your swing and i had countless people reach out to me and go i've never recorded my swing before thank you for for developing this product because now i can actually see what i'm doing it's it's interesting that people don't get that feedback loop and if you have a coach even better right because then you can send that video to the coach and they can analyze that swing and go okay this is what you're doing this is what you need to do and a lot of online coaches have come into the phrase as far as mm-hmm. uh, the last five, five, six years, uh, even more accelerated during, during the pandemic time. But I think that that, that, that the tool coupled with a coach, because I'm not, I'm not saying that you just need this tool. I, I think you need this tool plus a coach to really m- get momentum in your game. You know, well said. And, you know, just to, to add on this, just so people understand what, what sort of comes with uh, the package here is, Essentially, you have two alignment bars. One obviously has a mirrored surface for putting practice, as you mentioned, and we can touch a little bit more on that. And then, of course, a powerful magnet for mounting, uh, you know, devices to take video. And, and, and that's – I want to touch on the video a little bit more because you're exactly right in your analogy. From a, from a coach and from a teacher professional standpoint, it's important for us to be able to, you know, at a moment's notice, to, especially if somebody is a higher caliber player, let's say, and they – really want to, to get that feedback, but they're maybe traveling on tour or, or what have you, um, you know, it's not always easy to get together with your coach. So thanks to the wonderful world of technology uh, and the, the advancement of uh, phone cameras, um, you know, the player themselves can take those, those videos, but it's a pain because you either got to get somebody to do it for you or you have some other cumbersome thing. And I really like the simplicity of how with the magnet, how you've mounted this to be able to do that. And why it's important is, you know, and I'm showing my age here, when I dial it back to when video was first coming out, you know, everybody had a Canon camcorder and they were holding that up. And, and again, but you had to be together with your coach or you had to have a buddy uh, do it for you. And that's not always possible. And especially if you're traveling on tour, this does is allows you, as you said, to be able to record the video, good or bad, uh, and through a variety of different apps and so forth, or just to send it through as an attachment, you can literally upload it to, um, you know, a program that your coach may be using uh, for, for him or her to, ana- you know, analyze what's going on and get you real-time feedback. And that's a huge issue for a lot of players. And as you said, for a lot of coaches who have come on online, particularly with the younger generation um, being so proficient in, in this technology, this is something that they all want, right? Yes, absolutely. And you know, the younger ge- generation has latched on to this, uh, you know, some for vanity, but others for improvement. Um, but <laughs> it, at the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it could, it could highlight both vanity and as well as, as, uh, as improvement. And I, the, the main, the main goal is to improve. It, it's helped my game tremendously, just the recording aspect. And that's not new as, as far as recording, but, being able to deploy it easily and make it accessible for everybody to do and do it efficiently and get the right angles all the time is very important. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and, and, and again, you know, I mean, if you're out taxing or what have you with a buddy, I mean, you know, sometimes you can get away with, you know, them uh, recording it uh, if you have a better understanding of what you're doing. But this just makes it a, a seamless process. And I like the fact that everything fits together nicely. And again, what we're going to do, obviously, you know, this is audio, so we're not going to be able to show anything here. Uh, but we'll, we'll yeah. direct uh, the folks uh, at the end of the show to uh, uh, to go to your website and check out some of the great videos that you have there to kind of show you how it all works and puts together. But, you know, as I mentioned, you've got the alignment bars. And that's important as well because, again, you know, as a teach professional, what I, I my pet peeve is I will – you know, instruct a student on how to warm up, how to practice better. And then I see them out in the range, you know, at, at a different time, and they're not utilizing any of that. They're just sort of cutting corners, they're raking, hitting balls, and they're not really doing that. And there's a reason. You've kind of helped solve that a little bit because now, again, we want to make sure they're getting the right ball position. We want to make sure that they're, you know, lining to the target correctly and that sort of thing. And you've done that very, um, very nicely with scratch sticks. So tell us a little bit about that. How did that sort of come about? Why did you do that, and um, was there a few trial and runs with that as well? Yeah, alignment is, is is key. Obviously, if you're not aligned properly to the target, then then you're not going to hit the ball close or proximity to the hole. Uh, I caddied for my friend. He was on the Canadian tour. He was in Q school. He actually had a major injury in 2007. He was on on the Canadian tour in 2006. Um, and he was trying to get back onto the Canadian tour. He never ended up getting back on, but the the story here is that when I played with him, he's like, Hey, you're not hitting it bad. You're just not aligned to your target. So he's like, well, just think about rail railroad tracks, right? You've got your, your heads on the outside track and your feet are in the inside track. You always line your feet to the target as opposed to the head to the target, which is the outside track. Mm-hmm. So just really like visual because I'm a visual learner and he just kind of showed me um, when we were playing in San Diego and he, he like just blew my mind. Right. Cause the next hole I'm like, okay, it feels weird. He's like, if it feels weird, it's right. Which is like counterintuitive to anything I've ever done. You know, right. Cause in your mind, you think you're aligned to the target. He's like, okay, you, you feel like you're aligned left, but you're actually on the target. And sure enough, I'd hit it and it would be directly towards the target. And I was just, one of those things that just goes, the light bulb goes on and you go, okay. And sometimes you get into those habits and you were talking about your students not using the alignment rods. That is so mm-hmm. important to continue to do that because you form a habit of going, okay, here's my target. I'll pick a, a tree out by, past the target. I'll get my head aligned and then my feet aligned left of the target. And, and that becomes a habit and it unconsciously mm-hmm. becomes a habit over repetition and, uh, you know, you have to make that ingrained and make it easy for your mind to, to do it on the course because you don't have those training tools on the course. But if you use those training tools on the range, your game gets that much better. Yeah, and you, as you said, you, you ingrain some good habits. You know, it's interesting, last couple of years, um, you know, I'm, I'm in Florida, so I'm pretty close to the uh, Florida-Alabama border. They had in Alabama the last two years the LPJQ series, um, which is, of course, the young ladies trying to earn their LPJ cards. Uh, they have the final events in, in, uh, at one of the Robert Trent Jones courses. What was always really interesting is how many of these, uh, again, elite players use various different tools uh, in their practice. And yet virtually most or probably 90% of all the amateur golfers you don't see them using anything. So this is a great thing. 
and I like it because it's very solidly built. Um, I, I was very impressed because I've, I've seen some other products out there. And, you know, there's certainly some alignment sticks that you can get at Dick's or, or some of the other uh, golf uh, outlets and things. Uh, and they're great, don't get me wrong. But this was a very unique product. Tell us a little bit about the alignment bars and how they work. Because And, and again, we'll let people see them in real time uh, when they visit your site a little bit later on. But um, what I found really interesting is it had a number of different slots there. Tell us what those are for and how they piece together and the purpose of, of the various slots along one of the alignment bars. Yeah, essentially you have three slots and you can choose where you put the, where you put your alignment. The, it's the monopod stake, which also acts as a recording stake. And you can put that in either slot that you'd like, uh, depending on your, on your shot. So usually I typically put the center slot I'll put for my wedges and then I'll put the front slot for my driver just to get my proper feet alignment too and make sure that the ball is set correctly for the particular wedge or iron um, and as well as driver. Uh, so those, those woods are important as far as foot placement, but getting that proper foot alignment as well as your target alignment is crucial. And that, that cross alignment feature that you're speaking of is is crucial to 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 the fundamentals of golf right you have to make sure your setup is properly set to have a a a solid chance of striking the ball correctly yeah and and again i like the fact that it very easily comes apart um and the the two pieces the two alignment bars obviously one as you mentioned uh has a mirror surface on that and that's for putting tell us how that works and and again why you have the mirror on the one side i mean a lot of people that haven't seen it or aren't familiar with the product don't understand what that's for. So explain a little bit about, again, the thought process going in here, why you did what you did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you know, some of the best golfers in the world are over the ball when they're putting. Their eye alignment is over the over the ball. The mirror just helps you look and see your eyes in that mirrored finish so you know you're set over the ball properly. So for me, my tendency is to sit back so I'm not properly over the ball. So I, I feel like more I'm I'm more on my heels as opposed to right in the like the balls of my feet. So what that right. does is helps you get over the ball for for a solid putt. My putting has improved tremendously from using this. I use it religiously. I I, I go to practice. I I make sure to at least do 10 minutes with it because it reinforces the habit. And when I now when I'm golfing, I'll notice when I'm sitting back too far. And then I'll just essentially creep up and get get onto the balls of my feet and get my eye alignment over the ball, and that helps. You know, the, the best some of the best putters in the world, like Rory, Tiger, they're they're over the ball. They they really have mm-hmm. a they they repeat repeat repeat. They have a, a system in place, and this tool will definitely help your putting. And that's the thing that people don't concentrate enough on is the short game, the putting, and the chipping. And I have a deep, a deep connection with this particular part of the tool because it has helped me so much. Um, I, you know, I, I, I went from an average of 35 putts down to 30, and and I'm consistent now with my my around my 30 putts. Obviously, professionals are sub 30, right. but um, obviously, me as a seven handicap, I'm still working towards that goal of becoming a scratch handicap, but. I have improved tremendously, and and it has a lot to do with making up strokes on the green 
And when you need to make that three-foot putt, you're much more suited to be confident in that stroke and that confident in the setup to get the ball into the hole. And I noticed, again, well said, I noticed also, um, David, when I was watching, uh, you know, some of the videos that you have on your website, and obviously you're, you're talking about the product and, and the various uses. What I liked about it is, as we mentioned, you know, you have the mirrored surface, uh, which is great for your eye alignment, but also, too, using the two alignment sticks, like, again, a railroad track, um, can create a shoot for especially short putts um, to make sure that you're, you know, lined up correctly, and it build, helps to build confidence, right? Yep, absolutely. That, that'll help you square up the club, get, the, get it as a railroad alignment, um, make sure they're – it's just a, about a width, a putter head width apart, and that acts as the gate drill so you can you can set up and make sure you're properly aligned with your 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 face alignment and have a proper stroke through the ball with that gate drill um and you see pros doing it with tees um Mm -hmm. and you'll notice that the the green part is very accentuated right and that was by design because visually i want that to be ingrained um and it's 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 a green color we picked that green because it really does stand out and just to make sure you really ingrain that in the memory as far as uh, when you're on the course, actually putting your practice into play. Exactly. And and it's so important because you're exactly right. I think a lot of players, um, you know, sell out the short game uh, and don't, you know, uh, focus on it as much as they should. And then they, you know, as I've said so many times before on the program is they wonder why um, they don't um, improve because they're not out practicing. But, you know, I always equate it to this, is you have to, number one, practice with a purpose, but you also have to practice correctly. And what I like about uh, your product is, again, it's very simple to use, very easy to understand. There are a lot of products out in the market, uh, some similar in the sense, not exactly the same, but, you know, try to do similar things. Um, But I find some of them are very flimsy, very weak. This is very well put together. You guys have obviously put some thought into this and uh, obviously have, have uh, you know, developed something that is a good solid product um, and fits together well and, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, slips very nicely into one of the slots in your golf bag so you can take it with you to the practice tee and work on some of the various different things. And what I, you know, for me as a professional, uh, you know, teacher, what I would recommend is, you know, having this every practice session, just like the, the professionals do, is, use those those aids whenever and wherever possible and there's really no excuse i mean some aids out there are very cumbersome i can understand why people don't want to take them i'm you know uh, i've even seen some products that you're slipping on like a jacket and you feel like you're you know being taken off and you know what i'm talking about to the funny farm yeah and they might work but people are not going to do that on the range but something you know linemen rods sticks whatever people will do that i like this because it was very well thought out and uh, I think it's, it's a, a great opportunity uh, for people that want to improve their game um, to be able to do so. So, you know, kudos to you and, and, uh, and your team and that for developing that. I want to touch on something yeah. that really caught my eye. Yeah, sorry, go ahead if you have a thought you want to add to that. Yeah, I, well, I was just going to add that the new version coming out will um, have some extra features one of those features is going to be a drill hole in the monopod stake so the, the user can put their ball easily on because what we noticed is the older users were having trouble to have, to have the ball sit on top of the, 
on top of the eye alignment. Mm-hmm. So we're we're going to be adding a, a, a manufactured drill hole that the, they can put the ball in. Um, the other other thing that we are going to be launching is a tripod. It's going to be an addition to the product. Uh, you can you can buy it or not buy it, and uh, it, it'll fold up and go in your bag, and you can actually use the monopod stake on concrete ranges that don't necessarily oh. have grass to stake in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, right. This was one of the, fe- the features that, that we needed to have for international markets because in Japan and Korea, they have mm-hmm. mostly concrete ranges that don't have the ability to stake into the ground. So this tripod is, is a really good addition and I think it's really going to round out the product for, for users to really go, okay, I need this in my bag. Yeah, and, and, and again, that's a great point because, you know, pe- people want things that are ease of use, number one. Uh, I know I do when I, you know, go up the range. I used to, long before this was invented, again, showing my age, I used to go and just get some <laughs> real thin uh, PVC pipe, you know, for my local uh, – you know, a hardware store and just piece them together yeah. to do the same thing. Um, and, you know, that's, that's fine. But, you know, there's so many great products out there, but I really like this because it touches uh, a lot of different uh, areas, it ticks a lot of other boxes, I guess, is, is not only is it a great alignment tool, monopod, uh, and obviously the, the uh, you know, for putting in and full shots as well. So it kind of ticks all of those boxes. Something else I wanted that really caught my eye and that really impressed me uh, in, in all fairness, even more than the product. I think the product's fantastic, and I'm really excited to, uh, uh, to, to use it in that. But what really impressed me on your website is, is this phrase I'm going to read, and then I want you to expand a little bit, is giving is in our DNA. Um, and you guys have a, what's a, a program that you've put together where you're really giving back into your community uh, under the Pro Kids mission. Tell us a little bit about that and, and you know, how that sort of came about and why that's important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Pro Kids, uh, the first key San Diego Pro Kids uh, is really, really, uh, I'm connected to it. Uh, I have been on the marketing committee for years now, and I have, it's less fortunate kids that don't have a lot that that it's circle around golf. So if you know the first team motto, it's, it's giving, mm-hmm. um, giving opportunity to kids that don't have necessarily the means to, to play golf. And it also has education, an education element to it. But that really is one of those things where when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot. I was, I was given things through scholarships and the community around me. And I, I wanted to tie in. So for every every scratch stick we sell, we we give a dollar to the first tee, and my goal is to sell a million of these scratch sticks to give a million dollars to the pro kids first tee uh, in San Diego specifically. I'm I'm originally from San Diego. Uh, I have a right. lot of ties to San Diego, and and the first tee of San Diego is just just one of those organizations that I I really want to give back to because I see a reflection of my younger self within a lot of those kids. And and I think it's a great cause, and you know, um, as time goes on, you know, and and as you accomplish that uh, that mission, um, you know, you may expand it and do other things as well. But to me, when I look at a business model, I look at not just 
the products and or services they're providing, but what they're doing within their community, how they're giving back, how they're trying to make a difference, and not just the sale of their products, but how they're taking those resources from the sales and then giving it back in the way that you're doing. And that really impressed me a lot, and I, and I say that sincerely because I think it's important. I think as a, a business person, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, David, I think it's, it's, it's great for us to develop things that are going to help people's golf games and that, but there's a lot of folks out there that don't have maybe the same advantages as others and would like to get involved and be a, a part of, uh, of this great game, um, but sometimes just need a helping hand or need the access. And by giving back um, allows those kids to have that opportunity. So I think it's a, it's a great thing to, to sort of accompany uh, a great product. So again, kudos to you and, and, uh, and the others uh, in your organization for uh, for sort of p- pinning that together with with your product. I think it's a, a very worthwhile uh, mission. Yeah, absolutely. It def- it's a it's a worthwhile organization, a worth- worthwhile cause. And if you feel in your heart to to research them and look them up uh, and give to their program, uh, it would be it would be a, a great thing to to do for a community that needs it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And the first tee programs are great. I mean, they're obviously uh, across the United States and that. Um, but this particular one uh, that is close to your heart is, of course, in the San Diego area, so they can uh, certainly get some information there. Um, when you look forward into the future of Scratch Stick, what do you – I mean, without giving out too much information because you may have some things that uh, you're not quite ready to release yet – what do you see the next generation? You mentioned one that you sort of uh, adopted a sort of a tripod version for uh, some other applications to be able to allow golfers that are not uh, able to, uh, you know, to, to uh, you know, practice on grass that are on concrete or on uh, some other bay. Um, but what are some of the future? What do you see this organization going? What other aspects, what other products would you like to delve into along these lines or elsewhere? Yeah, I I would like to come with come out with a light version which we've already we already vetted out and uh, we're waiting till 2024 to to bring it to market. We did showcase it at the PGA show, um, but there mm-hmm. the interest was still into the original. Uh, the reason being is that uh, the one feature that we didn't talk about is the putting track that telescopes mm-hmm. out for a reason. It's engineered for a ball to roll up onto the track. So if you're using this in your house, you can put the you can extend the monopod stake out of the track, and you can put the ball on to the monopod stake, and then you can putt into the track. And if you make the perfect putt, it doesn't really make a sound. And if you're off, if you push or you pull, it'll click on the right or the left. So it's that instant mm. feedback. And I I've done this in the hotel where I'm like, hey, I want to get ready for my round the next day. Um, we're going we're going to Bandon Dunes next month, and that's something I would bring and to practice my to practice my putting uh, to to make sure that it's going onto the track. And it really does help square up that face. So we didn't end up launching the lighter version, but that's that's down the road, and we'll I guess we'll call that our PGA Tour version. Uh, you know because the PGA Tour players like to carry stuff in their bag. It's just going to be the light version of what the scratch stick is currently um, and just kind of uh, simplifying it even further. So we'll have two different versions next year. That's fantastic. Um, and what's been some of the feedback that you've gotten um, just from 
some of the, the users, the purchasers that have bought in the scratch, it would just been some of the, I know there's, you, you've got some reviews in that, uh, that people can get on the website. And we'll let them go and do that uh, in a moment, but um, when we get close to wrapping up, but what's been some of the general feedback that you've gotten? The, the, well, yeah, I, I've gotten feedback from people that have been faders of the ball and now they're drawers of the ball. <laughs> they're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize what I was doing because I was able to look at my swing. Uh, you know, close friends of mine are like, wow, I'm a believer in this just because of what they were able to do on their own. And, it, again, if you coupled that with a coach, you'd be far beyond your wildest dream of, of lowering your index. But that's one of the main feedbacks. The other uh, feedback, the other thing is the, the putting, lots of feedback from the putting stick because a lot of people, you know, there's a select few people that actually use that, that part, part of the tool, but when they do, they get it and they, they realize why it's so important. Um, so I get feedback through Instagram and through, through social media, uh, aside from just the reviews that we get. And just reaching out directly and say, hey, thanks for helping me with improving my game. Um, obviously, I can't take credit for that. They're, do, they're putting in the work. But that's, that's, those are the, the, the top things that I usually get, which is like, I, I didn't realize it did all this, and I, I, I really just can't take this out of my bag. <laughs> well, and, and also, too, I want to point out, you know, we've touched a little bit about this, but I want to point out is it's not just for the golfers. Um, there's a lot of coaches and golf professionals, uh, both playing and also teach professionals, get, that can make great use of this product as well. I mean, obviously they can sell it in their pro shops or, or what have you, uh, or, or you know, in some sort of a. I don't know if you do you offer an affiliate program of some kind, or is that something that you're yes. be doing in the future? Yes, well, uh, we we uh, have select uh, affiliates that we work with, but uh, the, as far as PGA professionals. Uh, we've we've gotten a, a good stable of PGA professionals that use them for coaching. Uh, the Special Olympics uses our tool mm -hmm. uh, for Special Olympics golf, which is really good. The the biggest feedback from that was like it's so visual that uh, the Special Olympics players can really gravitate towards learning the game of golf through the tool. Mm -hmm. So that's that was one of those things that was like that that made me feel good about the product just. Uh, it just just because it's it, that that that's that's just great, right? It's a visual, and and the mm -hmm. other thing is that PGA coaches that um, have kids really love this tool because it also adds that color element and and the and it's just it's very tactile and and also visual uh, for 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 any usual user, and uh, I think that's that's one of those things that's really impactful. And I like the fact that, you know, as we've, we've touched on, is it's a multi, um, you know, uh, purpose, if you will, tool. Um, so it ticks, as I said earlier, a variety of boxes. So it's not just one use. There's multiple uses that it could be used for. It's very light. It's very compact um, in the sense that it, you know, obviously can fit very easily into uh, one of the areas of your golf bag. And, um, you know, take it to the range whenever you're working on your game, uh, and it can be something that coaches can use uh, with you to help, uh, especially for beginners. You know, beginners always struggle with a lot of uh, areas of the game, and this is a great tool that uh, can be used, as I said, both by the coach and by the player uh, in their instruction and when you're by yourself. So, you know, it, you're able to align with it. Obviously, uh, you can record uh, using it uh, with the magnet uh, in your phone, 
uh, and ultimately you're going to improve your golf game uh, with the continued use. But obviously you have to practice and get out there and work on your game. This is just a great tool to help you uh, achieve that. And uh, again, I think you've, uh, you've, as I say, even though this is a baseball analogy, you've got a home run here. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that feedback. Um, and so I think what we ought to do now is give the listeners the uh, website and any final thoughts that you want um, as we get ready to to wrap up. Um, what's the website if people want to go and purchase it uh, and give us an idea? I know it's a, I believe it's an available in a number of different uh, uh, sporting good retailers uh, and obviously pro shops. Is there some general retailers that uh, that people might recognize? Yes, uh, Shields is a is a big one. I really pr- appreciate the support. We're almost sold through our inventory here at the office, uh, so I encourage uh, to support our retailers. Those are the lifeblood of our business. Um, we've got golf, uh, the golf ware- warehouse, a golf training aid carries our product. So we've got a good uh, good we've got good momentum with our retailers and we really, we would really enjoy the support. It's great if you support us on the website, uh, but we will be selling through our inventory very shortly. And the only way to get it will be through our retailers for, for a a specific period of time. So I highly encourage that um, the, the retail support. Okay. Sounds good. And can they find out through the website where some of the retailers are, uh, does that information on your website, if they want to find a retailer near them, is there a way that they can locate that? Uh, not currently. So we'll, we're, we're going to be adding that as we get more re- okay. retailers. So we should have that up uh, by next month uh, for the, the store locator. Um, but uh, you can visit thescratchstick.com. And if you have any questions, we can direct you to the nearest retailer. So just message us. We have a, we have a, um, a chat box in there you can add and ask mm-hmm. us any questions and we'll get back to you within within a few hours perfect um well david i want to thank you very much for um joining me on golf talk live tonight and i think as i said it's a great product i'm going to get out in uh this memorial weekend and get some good use up at the range um i was actually going to do it today but uh unfortunately they had a tournament going on and they closed the range down to everybody but oh. tournament people so so i I'm going to try, hopefully weather permitting, I'll get out there tomorrow and do it, and, and the rest of the weekend I'll, I'll try it again. But uh, it is a, a great product, and uh, you guys have you know, done a fantastic job, and, and um, I, I really think some people will get uh, some good use out of it in that. But uh, go to the scratchstick.com is the website. A lot of good information there. The videos, as I mentioned earlier, you get a, a bird's-eye view, as it were, of the, what the product looks like and, 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 uh, through the videos and, and, uh, and displays. You'll be able to see how it works. And I strongly encourage you to reach out to the folks at scratchstick.com. And uh, if you want to find out some of the retailers, they can help you with that as well and get one near you. But, uh, David, thank you very much for joining me tonight on on, uh, uh, Golf Talk Live. And I will definitely, um, once I'm ready to do my review, I will uh, make sure you get that information and and, uh, be able to provide that to to some of your your followers and and so forth. But uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, the information with me here on Golf Talk Live. You're very welcome. I appreciate the time and and, uh, taking the time to to talk with me. Have a great weekend and have a great memorial uh, weekend particularly and uh, and get out there and and, uh, work on your game as well if you get a chance. (laughs) You too. Hit them straight. I will. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, David Barino, founder of Stratch uh, Stick Golf. 
And again, uh, sorry, uh, the scratch stick, uh, the scratch stick, excuse me, dot com is the website, and you can get all the information there um, on the product. And uh, it retails uh, for about ninety nine dollars, and that includes two alignment bars. One is the mirrored surface for putting practice, as we mentioned, and also a powerful magnet for mounting devices to take video, such as your uh, your cell phone. And it's uh, a great setup, very easy to, to use, uh, very solidly built, and slips right into your uh, seamlessly into your golf bag. So. Uh, no excuse for you uh, to head up to the range without one. So, again, go to the scratchstick.com and either order one online uh, while they're still available or reach out and find out a retailer near you uh, so you can pick one up. But I also want to, again, special thanks to Clint Wright and Dr. Allison Kurt. Thank you uh, to you both for doing a great job on the uh, Coach's Corner panel a little bit earlier. And to everybody else out there, remember you can tune in live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, and for some reason, if you can't join us live, uh, you can uh, visit that web link. It's uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and just scroll down to the on demand section and all of the previously aired shows and tonight's will be there shortly. Um, you can listen to the recorded version there or wherever podcasts are heard. You can check it out there. But I want to thank everybody. Have a great Memorial weekend. God bless. And I will see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.